Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon. This is Patrick D. McCoy, the African-American voice in classical music, and welcome to the Maestro Series. We are delighted to be here with Dr. Anton Armstrong, conductor of the St. Olaf Choir, which we all have known for their wonderful recordings and broadcasts. Dr. Armstrong is actually here in Washington, D.C. right now for the Chorus America Conference. Good afternoon, Dr. Armstrong. Good afternoon, Patrick. It's a pleasure being with you. Thank you so much, sir. Well, let's jump right into it. You're here in Washington for the Chorus America Conference, and they dub Washington, D.C. as the Chorus Capital of the Nation. Um, what do you think uh, happens or occurs to get such a reputation? What maybe could contribute to such a title. You have so many choirs and so many states all over the country. Why Washington? Well, you know, I'm from Minnesota now. <laughs> so I have to say, we, we kind of say that's Coral Mecca. But I'll give our brothers and sisters in Washington, like, they can be a little bit of a Coral Mecca too. No. You have some <laughs> wonderful choirs. You have some of the great oratorio and large symphonic choirs here, uh, several of which we've already heard this week with the Coral Art Society and uh, the Washington Chorus. We've heard a uh, diversity of choirs with the Heritage Chorale last night. Um, so we're hearing a wealth of both uh, youth choirs, adult choirs, and I think our nation's capital certainly has expanded in the, the, the rich traditions in the schools here at Howard University, uh, and a rich choral tradition there, the National Cathedral, and, and that wonderful tradition. I think choral singing comes out of a sense of community. And, and, and it's our communal song, and certainly Washington is known for that. It, it's what gives us identity many times, and, and more importantly, in this, in this city, and I wish we could get the legislature, I wish we could get the Congress in a choir, because if they sang in a choir, they might learn how to govern together. <laughs> because the one thing that when we sing together, we put all of our deeper behaviors in a chorus, we put them away, and we come for what is the common good. We come to make harmony, not discord. Mm-hmm. But truly, if we could put Congress in the choir, we might just learn how to govern our land better. <laughs> now, when did you get the chorus bug? Of all the things you could have done, you're a choral conductor. When did you first catch that bug or interest to study choral music as a profession? Well, I have to say, I grew up in a wonderful church. I grew up in New York with a very fine choral program. But it was through that church choir program I got taken in as a, as a young adolescent to the American Boy Choir. And I sang in the American Boy Choir out of Princeton, New Jersey for two years. And that really was the thing that lit my fire for choral singing. And indeed, when I was in that choir, we sang at the White House. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't one of the Christmas programs. We were doing a special program for then President Nixon. And that was in December of 1970. Uh, 40, 35, right. 35 years later, I'm conducting at the White House again. This time it's for President George uh, W. Bush in 2005 for a National Day of Prayer, a special service we were invited to lead, uh, lead in. The problem was that I walked in the East Room, I said, this room has shrunk. <laughs> <laughs> and been in it since I was a little boy. Um, so, you know, that, that experience, though, I got to sing some of the, the great 
uh, musicians of the time. I remember as a first year student singing Elijah with the then Singing City Choirs under Lane Brown, that marvelous institution still exists, which that woman, that great woman thought, I can bring people of different races, have different religious backgrounds together, and in a choir, we become one, one people. I also remember that, that great concert, Shirley Barrett was the next one. And I, there's no one has ever sung Old West in the Lord. We were doing Elijah, and we recorded for RCA Victor, and there were a wealth of other wonderful souls, but this is Shirley Barrett singing Old West in the Lord. I will never forget that. Wow. Now, I was watching you yesterday in the Coral Masterclass. I was honored to um, attend that, and I was watching you work with the um, various conductors, especially the, the first young man that went. Now, you're the fourth conductor, if I'm not mistaken, of the St. Olaf uh, Choir, and I'm sure you followed a long line of conductors that came after you. So I guess my point of where I'm going with this is that as a young conductor, you have all these bright ideas, but you have to be able to take uh, constructive criticism. I watched it yesterday. How did that? How does that kind of relate to uh, when you see a young person in a master class and when you're uh, giving the critique? How does that reflect back on when you are a young conductor and trying to find your way? In? Well, quite frankly, these opportunities did not exist. I sound like an ancient days now. But when I was starting in the profession as a graduate student in the late 1970s, early 80s, we didn't have these sorts of opportunities for choral conductors, certainly. And um, so this is one of the great things about Chorus America. Now, ACDA has started to do that type of thing as well. But what I, I love about what Chorus America does, uh, and I'm a life member of ACDA, but that's a competition. I hate competition. <laughs> and you use that to advance. What I love about the Chorus America model is that we do these master classes, and they do submit videotapes, and we choose. And Chorus America tries to find different levels. So they have certain master classes are, are working for uh, with orchestra. Some are working more focused on youth and children's choirs. This was a repertoire that was primarily a cappella with some piano, some basic accompaniment. But these young people, for instance, had the wonderful singing sergeants mm-hmm. as their, their ensemble to conduct. What I would say, it helps us, I hope, to nurture. And my colleague, John Alexander, from the Pacific Corral, and I led this. And we are, sometimes, every once in a while, we'll go to Course America master classes, especially the orchestral ones, they tend to be a little stingy. Sometimes the coaches and the, and, the, and the conducting master teachers will, you know, they forget that they're dealing with human beings. Hmm. And so my point is, and Professor Alexander and I were really of the same mind that we want to nurture these young people. We want to affirm what they're doing well, and we want to help them to see where they can continue to grow. And I will tell you this. I'm not sure had they had one of these when I was their age, they probably would have had the guts to do what those young people did. Mm-hmm. I had great respect for them making themselves so vulnerable in such a public arena. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just a match class. This is a national conference of choral musicians. And I turned around at different times, you know, as one, as one young man said to me who was conducting the Dawson, the Dawson setting, and every time I feel this period, he said, it was bad enough having to conduct this with you knowing that you recorded the Dawson spiritual. And then I turned around, and there's Dr. Andre Thomas, who's written one of the most definitive books at this time on the performance of the spiritual, and said, if you don't think that was intimidating, <laughs> and yet he came through. So I, I, what I hope um, is that we can, first of all, nurture young conductors, nurture them as whole people, Okay. This is not the thing to see how badly you can rip at them. But can you affirm them, give them some guidance? What was I met with the conductors in a, in, in a post-mortem type of meeting this morning, post-mortem is a bad way, on a review session. And what was wonderful was for them to see some new insights, but none of the concepts that my colleague and I actually 
went after yesterday were totally new to them. Mm-hmm. So I think it also undergirds what their own mentors in their graduate programs are trying to share with them. And maybe, maybe now a couple of the crazy people saying the same thing their teachers at home will just also give them uh, impetus to try to uh, those things that need some strengthening and strengthen. But certainly, each of them has great strengths in their own. And I hope they walk away from that experience feeling, yes, I can do this and let me take the next step. And I really applaud Course America for, for having a type of workshop that reaches out to our emergency doctors. You have provided the perfect lead-in because I love the recording of the spirituals with Marvis Martin, wonderful soprano, and I just heard a quick first thing with Morgan by Strout. But for me, personally, I consider you a trailblazer because here you are at St. Olaf College connected to choir, predominantly white choir as an African-American conductor, but you have recorded these spirituals with this choir, and as an African-American uh, person myself, to listen to that, I would never know the difference. Can you talk about how music transcends race and maybe some of the thoughts on this particular I'll give you a little bit of background. We were, I was approached by Neil Chose, who uh, unfortunately has passed away since in the last couple of years, but Neil was the owner of Neil Chose Music, and they own now the copyright to all the Dawson spirituals. Uh, while Dr. Dawson was still alive, he and Neil Chose joined forces, and so a little bit of the history behind that, Neil Chose is actually a Seminole College graduate. Neil's uncle, my marriage, was Ola Christiansen, who was the second conductor of the Seminole Choir. Oh so it's kind of, you know, how many points of removal you get. But Neil approached me, and as we were coming up to 1999, uh, up to the, the centennial of the birth of Dr. Dawson, would I record the whole collection. I said, no, Neil, we're not going to do the whole collection. But I would love to be able to go back and take some of the, the recordings and, yes, to do it with a choir that might not be automatically associated with that. Because for me, the African-American spirituals, while they have come out of our people and the, and the burden, they are a universal statement about human existence. When I do the spiritual worldwide as I have. I've done them in PTO in Stockholm, Sweden. I've done them in Jerusalem. I've done them in Kyoto. I've done them, I just all I will do them in Seoul, Korea. I've done them in New Zealand. People look at that as American music. Mm-hmm. They see that as truly indigenous. They don't see this as African American. They see it as truly American music. And so colleagues like my dear friend Andre Thomas and I, but long before that, Chester Harrison was using these as, as bonds of friendship during the Cold War taking these great songs of liberation of the human soul, the, 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 the strength of people who, who were treated in such an inhuman way and shows the humanity that could come out of these songs. And so it was very interesting to do those spirituals um, and, and to introduce them to our students because I could say to them, yes, while they have come out of a certain race of people, don't we all feel pain? Have we not all felt sorrow? Have we not all felt joy? These are all the human uh, experiences that are wrapped up in these, these wonderful slave songs. And then we did explore colors that may not always be associated with the Santa Fire vocally. I tried different formations that allowed me to get a different sort of, uh, of sound, but still true to that identity of that choir. I don't know about authenticity. You know, I was an African-American raised in a middle-class family in New York. I don't know nothing about picking cotton <laughs> and, you know... But what I did understand is the sense of pain and sorrow. I understand the sense of joy and jubilation. I understand the sense of people giving thanks to a God who never fails. 
that my students in Minnesota could also understand. And so by us doing those albums, it gave permission to a lot of people to try music that might not be part of their tradition. I have that wonderful album that's recorded by Dr. Dawson in Tuskegee. And that was a guide, but again, I, I had to be true to the type of uh, student singer that I have here. And I think, we, I think that album has been done with great integrity. I have received, I'm, I'm thankful for the response, especially from the African American call community. I said, you know, as you simply said, I would have never thought that would say, oh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we, 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 we try different vocal chambers to better bring, you know, better, uh, I think, elicit the meaning and the pathos of the spiritual. It, of all the recordings I've done with the general choir, it may be one of the most fulfilling ones I've ever done. It's certainly mm-hmm. our students could transform. And then to collaborate with an artist like Marvis uh, was indeed. In fact, she had just recently lost her mother. And we, she was being, I think, on in Gilead. And we finished, and she just, she just started crying. And it was these wonderful Teutonic European students often. I had a couple of African-American students, but they had never seen, you know. European people sometimes can kind of cause yeah. up. And, and my friend, she just let it all pour out. And, and the kids kind of working. And, I, and at one point, I know what really set it off. We had finished recording, and I was doing Joseph and Poland, a wonderful African-American educator mm-hmm. setting up City Hall Heaven. And that year I had a wonderful African-American tenor in the choir, Alfred Jordan, and he was singing. And as he was singing... I heard of City Hall Heaven. I started to make Heaven up. She just started weeping. But what I said, and, and went and I said, to her, keep singing, keep singing. She said, that's the first time I've ever cried for my mother. But my mother was not just my mother. She was my best friend. Mm-hmm. And so we saw that humanity, the vulnerability that came through these songs. But just as we, as we close, Dr. Arush, I want to say thank you so much for giving me this opportunity. And, of course, we're at this Course America Conference. Just on a final note, um, with budget everywhere, what would you say um, is the state of choral music? I still have great hope for choral music being a change. It includes the largest number of people, far beyond people who play in instrumental ensembles, bands, or orchestras. You have choirs of all types, church choirs, school choirs, community choirs, barbershop choirs, industry choirs. But people can come together, and you don't have to have a lot of things. You have to have a desire to share your voice with other people. And as long as that's there, I think that the, the, the promise and the power of choral music is great to not just bring great art and artistry, but to be a transforming element of good and beauty in the world. Again, you've been listening to the maestro series of Dr. Anton Armstrong of the St. Olaf Choir, and we thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Patrick. Uh, again, this is Patrick before the African Mega Voice of Class Music, and we hope that you will tune in for our next broadcast. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.